0: Amen. Please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. What a joy to come again to sit under the authority of Holy Scripture. text today is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And the topic today, the title of the message is The Perfect and Perfecting Love of God. The Perfect and Perfecting Love of God. And I have to admit to you that this section of John's letter it has been a little bit of a challenge for me to outline and to kind of push through because John is kind of just churning and chewing on this idea of brotherly love. He, he's coming at it from different angles and giving us different exhortations and different applications of how we ought to love one another. Thinking to the context all the way back to First John three verse eleven we have been looking at the idea of love. Through the end of the chapter, he wrote about love, and then there's this interjection of thought, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, about the idea of testing the spirits and testing the confessions of one another. But now John comes back to the idea of brotherly love. So think about that. Piece that together. He's not shifting from the idea, so that interjection of thought has to reveal to us the importance of loving one another in submission to the truth we're devoted to one another in love but always love in and through the truth love is always balanced by truth so first john one four through seven and john shows us the first john one four seven through twelve john shows us that love begins and ends with god He shows us that God has shown his love for us in and through the person and work of Christ. And he shows us that we must walk and abide in love if we belong to God. So let's read our text together. If you will stand with me as we read God's word. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 7. This is God's word. It's holy, inerrant, and inspired. It is the true word full, revealed Word of God, breathed out by the Holy Spirit. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is God's word. May he write it upon our hearts, and may he sanctify our souls for the glory of his name. You may be seated. Would you join with me now, and let's go before our Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you and Firstly and chiefly, we desire to give you all honor and glory and praise. You're the great, mighty, sovereign creator of all things. All things belong to you, all things exist because you have created them, and therefore all things exist for the sake and the cause of your glory. Pray, Lord, that you would write and etch that truth upon our hearts that all things, including every aspect of our lives, exist for your glory. May we have humble hearts before you. May we consider, Lord, your great holiness, your righteousness, your love, compassion, mercy, and grace. May we understand that you are just and by no means will you leave the guilty sinner unpunished. But may we come before you rejoicing in Christ, the dead but risen and ever-living Savior. May we rejoice that he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we could die to sin and live in righteousness. May we understand, Father, that we come before you only because of the blood poured out by Christ at Calvary's cross. Lord, may we understand the great grace that we are to come before you boldly. We're to come before you to make all of our needs present before you, to ask you for what we need, to depend upon your Spirit to help and to intercede. Lord, may we see by your Spirit's help and the Illumination of your word. May we see our sins and how short we fall of the standard of Christ. May we see our sin and be broken. But may we see our Savior and be hopeful. May we see our sin and be repentant. And may we see our Savior and be pressed on in righteousness. Lord, would you write your word upon our hearts so that we would not sin against you? Would you create in us the capacity to love you more and to love our fellow saints with a love that imitates Christ's love for us? Lord God, by your powerful Holy Spirit would you sanctify us in the truth Lord may we all be aware of the important truth that if your spirit doesn't work in each of our hearts that our efforts and our work and our gathering are in vain and useless without point and purpose But, Lord, you promised to give us the Spirit as our helper, as our comforter, as the one to lead us and guide us into all truth. Lord, may we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And believing in the power of the Holy Spirit, may we see his work before us today by you writing your word upon our hearts. Sanctifying our souls and our lives for your glory. Pray that we would look to and gaze upon the Savior, be conformed to his image, all to the praise of your glory. I pray in Christ's name, amen. So to break down this passage, really from verse 7 all the way to the end of the chapter, we could say that John is exhorting his readers to a brotherly love that imitates God's love for us. It's a brotherly love, a horizontal love that imitates a much greater love, a love that we really aren't capable of completely imitating, but a love that we ought to and must strive after. We are to love one another like God loves us. And we need to hold on to that thought. That thought's going to be important because we're going to talk a lot about how do we love one another? But in doing that, we always have to be reminded of what is the ultimate standard. Because if we think about how we love one another, we are prone and bound to compare ourselves to that which we can really comprehend. But that's not the standard. That's not God's call. God's command is that we imitate his love. We'll see what love is, what it looks like, how it's applied, how we must be filled by the Spirit to walk in this love, and how, if we walk in this love, we will have confidence before the judgment seat of Christ. It's a greatly important topic. The Apostle Paul summarized the importance of love. You know 1 Corinthians 13 almost probably by heart and memory. He began there in the first three verses. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. He said, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor. And if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. That's the importance of loving like Christ. Now, we understand love is a topic that has been wrongly taught, wrongly understood even within the church. That's not even to mention the world, but even within the church, it's been misapplied and over applied throughout the years but it is of utmost importance and if you're like me and I think many of you are in this respect when you see something like this that has been so abused even by professing believers sometimes it's easy and it's our natural response just to kind of pull back and say okay well I'm not gonna not gonna talk about love too much I don't want to overdo it I don't want to be characterized with these people who who don't understand the true nature of biblical love. But friends, we need to fight against that because this is the command of Holy Scripture. God is love, and we are to imitate that love to one another. God's love is displayed for us to imitate in the person and the work of Christ. Christ. To speak of love without allowing the whole conversation to hinge upon the work and the person of Christ, without it hinging upon the work of the cross, dear friends, is to miss the point of biblical love. So again, it's like this balance we have to hold because John points us to the cross. He points us to the fact that Jesus died as a propitiation for our sins, but then he tells us how that's applied in our lives. And so we have to hold the cross foremost and in the forefront of our minds, but we need to understand the implications for us in how we live today. If you seek to love others but do not give them Christ, display Christ for them and call them to Christ, dear friend, you are not loving. You're hating them because the most loving thing any follower of Christ can ever do is to call a sinner, saved or not, to call a sinner to come and see Christ. So if you are not in Christ today, the most loving thing anyone can do for you is to show you Christ and call you to come to Him in faith and repentance. If you are in Christ today, dear friend, the most loving thing anyone can do is to show you the Christ of the Bible, to call you to live according to a standard, to press you to continue in the faith, and to exhort you to continue to repent of your sins. We come to a thesis statement, a purpose statement to kind of help bound our minds and our thoughts today. Those who belong to God love one another with and according to the perfect, sacrificial love that God displayed through Christ at the cross. Those who belong to God, those of us who are in Christ, we are called to love one another with and according to the perfect and sacrificial love that God displayed through Christ at Calvary's cross. That is our call. It's the highest calling of the Christian life to love as Christ loved, and that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to see the existence of love, the example of love, and the end of love. Love exists in and through God. Love is exemplified through the love of God in Christ, and we'll even see the Trinitarian nature of God's love and salvation, Father, Spirit, and son. And we're called to love. The end of love is that we are perfect and complete, that we lack no good thing in our walking with and before the Lord. The existence of love, the existence of love, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So we want to see how love is, is bound up. It exists because of and in the Lord. But first, let's begin where John begins with this life-consuming call to love one another. Beloved, let us love one another. Go back to the beginning of this section, 1 John 3, verse 11. For this is a message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. You've heard it all the way back, you could say, in the Ten Commandments, but John even goes further than that, and he points it back to the first family, to Cain and Abel. This is the command that we've been giving from the beginning of time. Chapter 3, verse 10, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor, John adds, nor the one who does not love his brother. Love makes it obvious who you follow. You love your fellow saints, and it becomes obvious that you are from God. Again, we we live in a day that trivializes love, even in the general sense, even in the worldly sense. Also, many trivialize this idea of brotherly, Christian, biblical love. It's overemphasized. It's given, uh, hesitate to put it this way, it's given too much priority. It's as though love is above everything and we even disregard truth in the name of love. And what what that does ultimately is trivialize the command. When we overapply a command, it tends to cheapen it. If a command is taken out of its context and given too great of an emphasis, ultimately what you do is cut the legs right out from under what the Lord says. When brotherly love becomes the first and the primary mark of a ministry, when it's the greatest goal of a church, the biblical command to love tends to get missed because things get out of balance. And so the church, dear friends, we must not be influenced by the world because the world wants to to take what is a clear and and plainly applicable command and make it some fluffy emotion whereby we don't hold one another accountable, but we love each other so much that you do what you want to do, I'll do what I want to do, and we just all are, are happy and merry. We must guard against what comes from the world in that. And we must, must walk in the truth love balance that is clearly shown in Scripture. That we love one another indeed and in truth. So the command cannot be ignored, but we must make sure that we don't overemphasize it. It really can't be overpracticed. If, if we bound ourselves and, and lash ourselves to the Scripture, you really can't overpractice the command to love. Because what we'll see is that we could never meet and attain the standard of God's love for us in Christ. We strive and strive and strive but we'll never get there so we can't over practice it but we can get things out of balance when we don't rightly love one another in deed and in truth. Little children let us not love with word or with tongue but in deed and in truth. So let me give you a few cross references just to kind of wet our appetites a little bit and to kind of frame what the scripture say about loving one another because we can kind of build and lay a good foundation that will help us as we look at john's commands here ephesians 5 verse 2 the apostle paul he said and walk in love just as christ also loved you and gave himself up for us Walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us. <clears throat> Romans 13, verse 8: The Apostle Paul, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Owe nothing to your brother or sister except to love them as Christ has loved them. And in doing that, you fulfill all of God's law. That shows the, the all-encompassing nature of the command to brotherly love. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, very quoted verses regarding love, and we're going to give a balance in just a moment to it. But hear what Peter says. Hear what the Holy Spirit says. Hear what God says. 1 Peter 4, verse 7, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment... And sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. So be of sound judgment, be of sober spirit for the purpose of your prayer. the The end is near. You're going to face suffering and hardship and persecution. Be of sound judgment, sober mind, and above all, keep fervent in your love. Because your love for one another covers a multitude of sins. Now there's a balance to that. Peter gives a balance to that so that this is not an unbiblical sin hiding love because that's not what the Lord commands. 1 Peter 1 verse 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren... Fervently love one another from the heart. Biblical, genuine love is marked by Christ-likeness. It carries with it a purity and a desire for obedience that does not allow you to sweep sin under the rug in your own life or in someone else's life. Now, when a sinner is repentant, that love does cover a multitude of sins. But our desire is this obedience to the truth and purity of soul and we walk together with that goal and then as we press one another in 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 the following of Christ and in the work of repentance then we cover the multitude of sins when a sinner turns from their sin we must love one another as Christ did. The world will know that we belong to Christ by our love for one another. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in righteousness. Love is so invested in doing spiritual good to one another that there is zero hesitation when it comes to confronting sin. If you've ever had sin confronted in your life, or if you've ever been the one doing the confronting, you know the sense of hesitation that is there on both sides. It's not an easy situation. It's not pleasant. It's not fun. But to biblically, genuinely love, there is zero hesitation because you love one another in obedience to the truth and you desire to have purified souls. Like there's no hesitation in correcting sin, there's no hesitation in forgiving sin when that brother or sister repents. That's balance. That's biblical balance, that you correct the sin, and then when there's repentance, you forgive it, you cover it, you love, and you move on, and you press forward together. So what's the source of this love? Beloved, let us love one another, John says, for love is from god love is from god matthew henry expounds on this he says that that god is the fountain the author the parent and the commander of love it's the sum of his law and his gospel god is the fountain of love he is its source and he proves to be a fountain of love for us to us and through us that never runs dry He is the author of love. He is the one in whom love begins. If there's a book written on how to rightly love one another, it would be penned by God, and there is a book. It's the Holy Scriptures, and it tells us how to love one another. God is the author of love. He is the parent of love. He is our eternal Father. He shows us fatherly love and kindness in that while we were sinners, He adopted us. He called us into his family. He made us alive together with Christ and creates us in a way that we share in Christ's inheritance. He's the parent of love. He is the commander of love. He commands that you love one another. And dear friend, the Lord never commands you to do something that he himself does not perfectly exemplify. So let's think about a picture of this love. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. A pointed description of love that comes from God. How that works itself out in our lives. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, so that you may live. The Lord your God will will cut away the dead flesh from your heart. He will make you alive together with Christ so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live, so that you may love your neighbor, your brother or sister as yourself. So the Lord is the example of love. He is the reason that love exists and he is the enabler of love. Love is from God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. There's no disconnecting the child of faith from the author, the the father, the parent of that faith. If God loves, we will love. If you know God, you will walk in the way that he walks. You will walk in a way that is compatible with by His grace, through His Spirit, with His nature. You could go as far as to say then from this that those who don't know Christ have no ability to walk in genuine biblical love. And we should draw application from that. If those in Christ can't walk in biblical love, we should reject every form of love that we see in the world. We get our instruction of how to love only in the scriptures. This love is given, us, given to us to work out when we are born of God. We become partakers, as Peter would say, of the divine nature. We become partakers of participants in the Holy Spirit, and we're called to work out and to walk in this kind of love. Dear friend, if you are in Christ, one of the clearest marks uh, of increasing faith of maturity and growth in Christ, one of the clearest marks is whether or not you are increasing in brotherly love. If you are growing in Christ, your love for the saints will necessarily be increasing. You cannot love Christ and be alive in him and not grow in love for your fellow saints. Because he who loves is born of God and knows god likewise the one who does not love does not know god this is the importance uh, of walking in love because if you don't what scripture tells us not my opinion not john calvin's opinion what god tells us and reveals to us through his word if you don't love you don't know him but why why can scripture make such a statement What's shown in the end of verse 8. Though the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Not God loves, not God is, is marked by love. God is love. Love is the nature, the character, the existence of the Lord. MacArthur says that God defines love, it does not define him. We cannot then define love by any human terms or means. We must look to the ultimate standard, the ultimate existence of love, which is the Lord himself. What does the world say about love? Have you you heard the, the rallying cry of the LGBTQ movement? Love is love. Do as you will because love is love. We reject that notion. Because Scripture rejects it. Because Scripture doesn't say love is love. Scripture says God is love. Therefore, God defines love. And we need to be equipped with that as we go out into the world because you will be assaulted with the world's attack that, hey, we love whoever, however, whenever, whatever we want. Because love is love. We reject that because it does not accord with Scripture. Because. God's word makes clear that love is not love. God is love. James Montgomery Boyce commented on the profound nature of John's statement. Here he said that that this regards love not merely as a gift or an attribute of God, but in the deepest sense as God's own nature. You know, we have gifts, we have attributes, we have characteristics. You might be a a loving person, but we don't speak of God in that way. God is love. It defines his very nature. Scripture gives us three God is statements. You may be familiar with them. God is light, God is spirit, and God is love. And think about the outworkings of that. We're called to walk in the light as he himself is in the light, We are called to walk by the Spirit so that we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. And we are called to walk in love, to display the love that God shows us through Christ. Augustine wrote that if nothing were said in praise of love throughout the rest of the pages of the Scriptures... And this this one thing was only told to us by by the voice of the Spirit of God. If this was God's only word about love, that God is love, nothing more should we require. God is love is enough. It's enough for us to understand and submit ourselves to Him and to His standard and to His commands as we're called to love one another. We must pursue being known and characterized and defined by brotherly love in the similar way that we see love being from God. So let's press forward then. The existence of love and then the example of love. The example of love in verses 9 and 10. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So under this heading, I'm going to try to, to outline for you a little bit of how we see a Trinitarian nature and example of love here. But before we do that, how does John introduce this example of love. He says, by this, the love of God was manifested in us. It was revealed in our case, would be maybe a more literal translation. By this, by Christ, God's love was made known in us and through us. And in our case, God makes his glorious light of salvation shine in us and through us only by the work in the person of Christ. You must realize then that in the manifestation of God's love, in the visual display of God's love, you and I are passive. We, we, we do not reveal God's love. He reveals His love in and through us by Christ. You, know, you think about the great benefit that we receive in salvation and as we rejoice in that, we sometimes want to try to make salvation then about us. Because, dear friends, we do rejoice. You know, no greater benefit in all of eternity than God's work in salvation. But to make salvation about us could not be further from the truth. God displays the glorious nature of his person, he displays that God is love reaching down and saving wretched sinners. This display of God's love, yes, we benefit from it, but it's all about God's glory. It's all about revealing His nature to all of the world so that all of the world might fall down on their faces and cry out, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Jesus, the Lord of all, The name above every name, that is the purpose of God in salvation. We must imitate this divine love. We must love one another as the Lord loves us unconditionally and without respect, without reservation to how much someone may or may not deserve that love. Because you didn't deserve God's love. I didn't deserve God's love. And yet he loves us unconditionally. He calls us out of sin and makes us his children. That is how we love one another without regard to how they may return our love. So now the example, the examples of this love. Father, Spirit, and Son. So, So put on a thinking cap a little bit because we need to often stretch our minds a little bit to make sure that we understand and see the, the Trinity at work when we can. It's a, it's a hard doctrine to understand, but, it, but I think it is displayed in the exemplary work of God in this love. We see the Father's love, the Father's love exemplified. God sent His only begotten Son into the world. He sent His beloved Son the one who existed with him from eternity past in perfect glory and in perfect unity. The Lord needed nothing from us, yet in a display of divine love, he sends his son. You say, okay, well, that's the son's love. It, it is the son's love. But, it, but if you have ever witnessed or, or been a father, you understand the love of a father for their son. And it, it, it did please God to crush him. Scripture makes that clear. But he was also the beloved, the choice, the precious lamb and son of God. Romans 8 verse 31 tells us that he did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all. And he did that as Romans 8 concludes so that nothing could separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord the devoted, loving example of the Father. Ask the question, what are you willing to to give as a devoted response to this love? Maybe put that question another way. What are you not willing to give as a devoted response to God's love for you in Christ? We must imitate this love. You love, you think about the love of a parent for a child or, or a spouse for a, another spouse. When, when you walk in that type of love, you know that you're not getting a perfect love in return. If you don't, just as a heads up, you won't because we're not perfect and we don't return love perfectly. But what do you desire? Firstly, you ought to desire the Lord's glory in it. You love unconditionally. But what we want in return For devoted love is what? Devoted love in return. The Lord gives us perfect love, and love through which He even sent His beloved Son. What He expects, what He requires, and what He desires is our devotion in return. What about the example of the Holy Spirit? God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Okay, so now you're saying, well, that's actually the Son's love. It is. The Father sent the Son in the world so that we could live through the Son. But how do we live? It's only by the gift and the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who comes to us and gives us life so that you may live. It's the Spirit that gives life. It's the Spirit that opens your sin-darkened eyes to the light of Christ. It's the Spirit that comes to us and makes His home with us. It's the Spirit that grants you faith. It's the Spirit that draws you to repentance and continually strengthens you to resist the temptation of sin. Dear friend, it's the Holy Spirit who lovingly joins Himself to a sinful people. Sinful people who are being transformed, who are now alive in Christ, but the Spirit joins himself to sinful people and is then often ignored and rejected and grieved by our actions. But he joins himself to us to continually work in us and conform us to the image of Christ. Again, think no further than the eternal existence of the Godhead. Father, Spirit, and Son eternally existing in perfect union, and yet devise this plan where the Son's going to have to come and die on a cross, and the Spirit then is going to have to come and be joined to sinful people to see and to peer into our hearts and to do the work of transforming us and and being patient with us and being grieved by our sin, but then lovingly drawing us to repentance and transforming us and conforming us into the image of Christ. The fact that you live in and through Christ is an example of the Holy Spirit's love. One thing this ought to point us to, one thing this ought to draw us to and draw out of us is the love and the godliness of mature saints joining themselves to younger saints for the sake of discipling them and investing in their lives. If you do that as a mature saint will you get dirty at times yes you will will your counsel be rejected again absolutely it will will you pour instruction and love and your heart into someone only sometimes not to receive much if anything in return yes absolutely how often do you do that to the holy spirit How often have we at various times of our lives grieved the Holy Spirit because we don't heed His warnings, because we don't submit ourselves to the word that He has revealed and that He places in our hearts and calls to our mind and we still run headlong into temptation. Consider the Spirit's love and imitate His his example by doing the same and exercising a great patience, just as he does with you. If you are a more mature saint and you are engaged in one of those types of relationships, let me encourage you to be gracious and to be so patient that that younger saint never feels like a burden, because that's what's going to separate relationships, is if you allow yourself to react or respond in such a way that that Younger saint who is struggling and fighting and battling, they feel like a burden to you. Has the Holy Spirit ever made you feel like a burden to him? He's burdened your heart when you sin, but it's never a burden to him to draw you continually, continually, continually back to the truth and back to repentance. Thirdly, in these examples, we see the example of the love of the son a humbling example it is and this is love not that we loved god verse 10 but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin while we were enemies while we were at war with christ he came to us and he reconciled us to himself through the blood of his cross. While you clung to your sin and you held it closely and tightly and dearly and even tried to push Christ away with that very sin, he bore the penalty of that sin in his body for you, to save you, to redeem you, to wash you, to make you his pure and spotless bride. While you would choose To do anything but dying to sin and living in righteousness. Dying to self and living in righteousness. He lived righteously. He died to himself and he took your sin upon him. It's like two diverging directions. You had no desire for Christ. Yet in his love. And in his love for his father and in the eternal agreement of salvation he comes and he dies as the payment and penalty for your sin there's no plainer example of selfless love than the work of christ at the cross there's no higher calling in the christian life than to strive after walking in that same love Scripture talks about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. This is the example. This is not only the example. Dear friend, hear this. This is the standard, the love of Christ displayed at the cross. You were his enemy, and he didn't hate you. He took your sin upon himself so that you could be made alive and live with him forever and share in his eternal glory. Wondrous, glorious love. This really draws back to Jesus' statement in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. There's no greater love than what Christ displayed, and we are to follow his example. To lay down our lives fully, completely. And what does Hebrews 12 say about how he did it? joyfully, despise the shame, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the agony of the cross. Lay down your life fully, completely, and do it, dear friend, joyfully. So the existence of love, the example of love, and then the end of love, the end result of us loving one another as commanded, 11 and 12, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, this is that point where it becomes hard to break apart what John writes here, because in reality, we just need to keep on going. But, But we'd be here for a few hours if we wanted to work through all that's in the rest of this chapter. So, we have to cut it off somewhere. And here we see the end result of our love. This end result of our love is that we love one another and God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If you love one another, God abides in you and his love is perfected. It's brought to its completion to its end point in you. But as you think about that, don't miss the beginning of verse 12 because this is interesting and it draws us again back to Christ. What does John say, it almost seems bizarre in this, in this point. No one has seen God at any time or called to love like God and no one has seen him at any time, but if we love, he abides in us. Think about John's writing this letter. John also wrote the gospel of John. Think about what he said at the beginning, John 1, 17 and 18. He said, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. There's your link right there. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. He has revealed him. He has shown us how to love. Walking in Christ-like love, then, dear friend, if you walk in this love, you explain, you display, you reveal, and you realize the transforming power of God to the watching, lost, dying world. So, Ask yourself this question. Is my love for others really reveal the grace and the truth of God's love in Christ? If a worldly dead in their sin person walked in here, would our love for one another reveal the grace and truth of Christ? Think on that question. Think about how your life measures up to the love of Christ. Do you display his love? Do you reveal God's love in the way that you love one another, in the way that we love one another? Or do we put the world off from Christ because we say we're in him, we say we love him, we say we're being conformed to him, and yet we don't love like he loves? Almost summarily, John is pointing back here to this idea that he has repeated throughout the letter letter, the, the idea of abiding if we love one another god abides in us and he perfects us and he perfects his love in us what is the proof that spiritually speaking you have seen god and you know him what is the proof that he remains in you and you remain in him it's your love it's your love for one another The greatest sign of spiritual maturity and a primary sign of spiritual life at all is love for the Lord and love for his people. You draw strength and you draw joy from being with those whom you love. You're strengthened and you rejoice to be with his people. This is the measuring stick. It's not, do I say that I have love? But does my life really show that the love of God exists in my heart? This love is perfected in us. It's completed. It's brought to its perfect end result. It's brought to this ultimate consummation and completion. It's accomplished fully. We must walk in it. We'll conclude by thinking about Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13. We began at the beginning of the chapter. We'll conclude going to the end of the chapter, verses 11 through 13. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 13. Paul says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have also been fully known. So you have this movement from, I was a child, I thought and act and reason like a child, but now I've become a man and I think and I act and I speak like a man. I've seen in a mirror dimly, but one day I will see fully because I've been fully known. And then what is his great summary? Verse 13, 1 Corinthians 13, But now faith, hope, and love abide these three. These three remain, but the greatest of these is love. The ultimate mark of spiritual life is that you love. Our goal is to grow up in the faith, to put away childish things, to grow up into spiritual maturity and spiritual manhood to do away with lesser things and childlike thinking. This is the picture. We see it dimly and really, dear friend, it's only dimly seen in us presently. But this is the goal. Faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. As you put on the mature man, your life becomes focused on love. You realize that all of spiritual life, and and hope I made this point plain enough at the beginning that, that you'll stick with me. That we're not trivializing love. We're not speaking of it in the way that even that even some people who claim the faith, but we're speaking about this biblical love. As you put on a mature man, your life becomes focused on love. Every action is measured by was that done out of love for God and love for others or was it because I love myself it's the only two options in everything you do in every action every thought every word every deed did you do it because you loved the Lord with all your heart soul mind and strength and you loved your neighbor as yourself or did you do it only because you loved yourself We must put away childlike thinking and understand that everything in the Christian life is bounded by and to love, love for God and love for others. Those who belong to God, as we said at the outset, display a Christ-like love for one another we imitate the Christ-like love that was displayed at the cross. It's sacrificial, it abides, it remains, it's unconditional, and it's selfless. We display Christ's love by working and walking in love for one another. May the Lord, for His glory and by the power of His Spirit, may He perfect His love in us today. Let's pray. Father, we come and we do thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that it instructs us and that it trains us in righteous living. I pray, Lord, that you would write your truth now upon our hearts. Help us, Lord, to honestly assess our lives, to know whether or not we genuinely love one another as we're called to. Lord, I pray that we would display and showcase Christ to the world. Pray that you would build this love up in us, that you'd be glorified by our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would lead us in the way of repentance, that you would break us over sin and cause us to live lives that bring honor and glory to your name. We pray this in and through Christ, for his glory. Amen.